0: If you'd like to read with me, I'll be in Exodus chapter 4, verses 21 through 23. Exodus 4, 21 through 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. Then it will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord Israel, My firstborn son. Or, excuse me. Then you say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord Israel is My firstborn son. And I say to you, Let My son go, that he may serve Me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Anyway, in 1440 B.C., God had instructed Moses to return to Egypt to free his people from the bondage of slavery which they had been enduring for hundreds of years. At that time, Moses was an 80-year-old man, and he had not been in Egypt for 40 years. In fact, he had fled the palace of Pharaoh where he was reared as Pharaoh's daughter's son and. And by fleeing there, he fled all of the wonderful things that came along with being in that privilege. But he left. He went to, uh, he went to Midian. Now, even though he was reared as Pharaoh's daughter, because of his faithful mother, he learned that he too was an Israelite, and because of that, he murdered an Egyptian guard in defense of one of his brethren. Now while in Midian, he met a young woman and he married her, the daughter of Jethro, the priest in that area. Now when news of the murder got back to Pharaoh, got back to the palace, he left because of that. He did not want to be executed because of that murder. Well, he had built a life in Midian and he had uh, begun to uh, rear a family. And, and one day while out tending his father-in-law's sheep, he came across a wonderful sight. In fact, he saw a bush that was on fire, but it did not burn up. Now on that occasion, that is the first time that God had revealed Himself in such a way to Moses. He spoke to him a message. He wanted Moses to understand that, he was going to go down into Egypt and that God, through His hand, He would deliver His people from the bondage that they had been in for so long. Also, He told Moses that he and his brother Aaron, they would go before Pharaoh and they would request that Pharaoh allow the children of Israel to go back to their home to be able to go and worship in the ways God had commanded them to worship. But He also noted something. He said that he would harden Pharaoh's heart. And that would prevent Pharaoh from doing what God asked him to do. Now we need to understand God's statements. If we're going to look at this idea of the things that Pharaoh did, whether or not he repented, he is having a hard heart as opposed to us wanting to have a soft heart. We need to understand God's terms. God has never interfered with man's free will. He didn't do it in the Garden of Eden. He didn't do it during the time of Noah and those people who had rebelled against God. He didn't do it in the history of Israel during the time of the judges. And He certainly did not do it while Israel was still in bondage in Egypt. And He doesn't do it today. But He does harden hearts today. And He does it in the exact same way that He hardened Pharaoh's heart. He does it in the way that He hardened Adam and Eve's heart, those who lived during the time of Noah, those who lived under the rule of the judges in Israel, and He hardens it the same way today that He hardened it then. God requires something from His creation. And through that requirement, people refuse God, because after all, no one likes to be told what to do, And hearts become hardened. God hardened Pharaoh's heart by requiring something from him. Oh, he required the release of his people. That was always part of the plan. They were going to go down into Egypt and there learn what it meant to be a people. They were going to survive under a common burden. They were going to come together and be able to live and work as a nation. But God was requiring other things from Pharaoh as well. God required that Pharaoh give up the idols of Egypt and worship only Him, recognize Him as the power of all things, the one true God of heaven, the one worthy of worship, and to cast all those other things to the side. In essence, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. He wants to notice the descriptions given by Moses. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. Exodus 7.13 Exodus 7.14 So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Exodus 8.15 But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. It stated that God hardened it simply because God gave commandments. God expected obedience and Pharaoh did not want to render that obedience. The Holy Spirit taught the world through this account of Pharaoh, a soft heart will repent while a hard heart will not. As we study this this morning, each of us need to look inside ourselves and determine... Do I have a hard heart or a soft heart? Well, Pharaoh refused to harden or to soften his heart. Instead, he hardened his heart and refused God. And it all started by a simple request. Let my people go. That's all God asked. He asked him to return his people to their land, to be obedient to him, give up the idols of Egypt, and that's not too difficult but Pharaoh saw it a different way. There's some very important things we need to understand about this request, though. Moses, sent by God to Egypt, appeared in front of Pharaoh at the palace in his presence, but Moses sought out an individual. Now, we're talking about repentance. Repentance is based on the individual. Not only because Pharaoh was the one in charge. Not only because he was the one who could uh, be obedient to God and do what God asked. It's more than that. Repentance is individual. Moses went to an individual. It has always been individual. Jesus said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Luke 13.3 Peter told the listeners on Pentecost, Acts 2 verse 38, for them to be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. Repentance is individual. It's something that each of us must do independently. I can't do it for someone. No one can do it for me. A parent cannot repent for a child. A leader cannot repent for a nation. We have to repent individually. It cannot be done by proxy. It has to be done by the person by the individual. It has to be done by a person who has a desire to repent, someone who wants to repent. I think often repentance is overlooked because sometimes we look at the sins of others maybe in a little different way than we look at the sins of our own lives. Sometimes we look and we think that someone's sins are greater than my sins. We may do that, I don't know. I think that's the context of Luke 13. Some people had informed Jesus of the death of those Galileans who Herod had mingled their blood with their sacrifices and they blamed them for doing some terrible thing. Jesus had an answer for that. Luke 13:2, He says, "...Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I say, nay, except ye repent." ye shall all likewise perish. In other words, I think Jesus was telling them, don't forget about your sins. Oh, if they committed sin, they're going to answer for that. But don't forget about your personal sins. You're an individual who at times needs to repent. Have you ever considered which sins are worse sins than other sins? Oh, there are sins in this life that carry with it greater consequences. There are sins in this life that that make us sick to our stomachs, that repel us from the idea of even wanting to be around other people. There are some terrible things that go on in this life, but we're talking about sin, period. Any sin will keep one from heaven. Those little bitty white sins that, that maybe we participate in from time to time, but we avoid those big black sins that, that we know are terrible. A sin of any kind will keep us from heaven. We need to understand that. There are no little sins and big sins when it comes to repentance. And Pharaoh had to understand that. He had to repent individually. Yet he hardened his heart. He said, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to be told by this God in heaven what I'm supposed to do. Repentance is absolutely an individual act. But not just an individual act. We're going to learn also that repentance is also an inclusive exercise of faith. It's inclusive. Now what do we mean by that? Notice in times past, God overlooked sin or winked at sin. We see that in Acts 17. He didn't overlook sin in the sense that He wouldn't punish sin. He overlooked Sin, he overlooked to the cross of Christ because up until that point, sin could not be forgiven. Sin was rolled ahead into the future. on the uh, uh, That one day when they would offer the great sacrifice and they would send the, the scapegoat out into the wilderness, those people of Israel, what they were doing, were rolling their sins ahead for another year, waiting on that next day of atonement when those sins would come back around. There was not a perfect sacrifice at that time, but God looked over into the future and He saw the cross. And when we look in Acts 17 verse 30, Paul said, God now commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? There's a day of judgment coming. He requires that repentance. He commanded all men to repent because all men have sinned. Sin is in our lives and we have to keep a check on it. That doesn't mean we're sinning every day, all day long. If we are, there's a problem, right? But there is sin in this world and sometimes the temptation to sin grabs us and we find ourselves knee-deep in it. Pharaoh had to repent, but all of Egypt had to repent. It's inclusive. Individually we have to repent, but all individuals have to repent. God requires it. Egypt had to repent for her idolatry her lack of faithfulness and her disrespect toward God. When Jonah preached, yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, Jonah 3, 4, the result was both individual and inclusive. Each individual repented of sin, but each individual had to repent of sin. It's inclusive. So the great people of Nineveh believed God, Jonah 3, verse 5, and proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least. Now Moses, as he was carrying out his commission from God, he didn't see those results in Egypt. He didn't see the king sending out a commandment to have a fast and to put on sackcloth, to sit in ashes. Uh, that didn't happen. We see nothing but arrogance from Pharaoh. He didn't do the necessary things in order to gain the mercy of God. He chose not to do that. The king still hardened his heart. He would not submit to the power of heaven. I believe that's happening in our own country and in our own world today. We see it more and more every single day. Some of the most ridiculous things that this world is doing. But it's not just happening in our world in general. You know, some of those things are finding themselves, finding their ways into the very church for which Christ died. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, Romans 1, 28 through 32, he warned of those things. He gave a whole list of things to avoid. It's not all inclusive, but it is some of the things that they were having difficulties with. He might have just simply said, all sin, and that would have been good enough. But he listed individually some of those things, those who approved of those things, who maybe didn't practice them personally. But it has crept into the church in some places. I think if any of us are are working under the delusion that not a single member of the Lord's church would ever drink alcohol. Not a single member of the Lord's church would dress immodestly. Not a single member of the Lord's church would watch a filthy movie or listen to filthy music. Not a single person of the Lord's church thinks that it's okay to simply show up on Sunday morning and Wednesday night, and that's all I've got to do. If we believe that there's not a single member of the Lord's church who believes that way, I think that we are sorely mistaken. But the good news is this, God has provided a way for us. He has provided a way of Escape in the form of a soft heart, which will lead one to repentance. We must never be like Israel. We must never be fooled into believing that the heathen nations around us, those people in the world around us who do not respect God, those people in the world around us who don't want to do what God has instructed for us to do, we must never allow ourselves to believe that's okay. Pharaoh should have conceded in repentance, but he didn't. Notice what's said. Exodus 5 verse 2. Who is the Lord? That was his, that was his answer to that. He was given a request. He said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. That was the reaction. To the request. Wrong reaction, right? But I want us to notice a few things concerning his reaction. For someone to truly repent, for someone to truly have a soft heart that will result in repentance, three things have to be changed. First of all, discernment. We have to change our discernment, our way of thinking. We have to change that or we're not going to repent. First, we must acknowledge that sin is present, right? If we refuse to acknowledge sin is present, how will we ever repent? Do you think for a second that Pharaoh thought he was doing something wrong? Pharaoh held himself up as a god. Who's going to come into the palace of the king of Egypt and tell him he needs to repent? He thought he was the god-man. We have to acknowledge sin. Pharaoh needed to change his discernment. But if we do not acknowledge our sin, we're not acknowledging God. If we're holding ourselves up beyond that. Now we have examples in the Bible of those who acknowledged their sin. We notice Isaiah 6 verse 5. He said, Woe is me! He said, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Because he had seen the very presence of God. Job He said, therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Paul called himself the chief of sinners because he had persecuted the church. We don't see any of that in Pharaoh, do we? We see none of those reactions in Pharaoh. He said, who is the Lord that I ought to obey His voice? all we see is arrogance. But you have to change discernment. But we have to also change our desire if we're going... To be able to repent. We have to, to repent, we have to want to. Right? If we're gonna have faith, how do we get faith? Well first, we've gotta, we've got to want to have faith. We have to have a desire. Well how's that brought about? Paul talked about it. He talked about godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. Godly sorrow leadeth to repentance. When I realize I've done something contrary to God's laws, I've done something in some way that has offended God, that ought to hurt me. That ought to hurt my feelings. Have you ever hurt a parent or a child's feelings? Maybe a close friend. Maybe we've said something to a close friend and it hurt their feelings and we found out about it. How did we feel about that? Well, were we glad we hurt our parents? Were we glad we hurt our children? Were we glad that we hurt our close friends? Well, of course not. It hurt us individually, didn't it? Not because... We got caught doing it, but simply because it was wrong and we hurt someone that we loved. That's how we ought to feel toward God. When we recognize that we have sin in our lives, there should be nothing that would ever stand in our way of getting that taken care of. We have to want to repent. We have to be able to feel a sadness that comes from wronging God. I think Peter is one of the greatest examples that we have in the New Testament of someone who felt that hurt and that heartbreak over hurting the Lord. You recall that he denied him three times, and and on that third time as he was cursing and swearing, when the people said, Yes, you are a Galilean, we can tell by your accent. And then he cursed and he swore and he said, I don't know the man. And then he happened to look and guess who he saw? His eyes met the eyes of Jesus Notice what it says. The Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Not because he had gotten caught. Peter could have gone right on doing what he was doing. The Lord was going to the cross and he could have simply gone back fishing. But he was hurt. Because he hurt Jesus. He was truly sorry for what he did. And that led him to repent. I think too many people today do not feel sorry for God when they wrong Him. We ought to hurt when we wrong God. We ought to, we ought to hurt when we live in sin. We ought to hurt because we know it destroys God's feelings. You know, John told the Pharisees and Sadducees that they were a bunch of snakes and hypocrites because they refused to acknowledge Jesus and they refused to repent of their sins. I think we need to worry about offending God other than offending people. I think we shouldn't worry about offending people when we teach the truth in love. Now, we have to teach the truth in love. I think we ought to teach the gospel the way God intends for the gospel to be taught, but the gospel message is a very divisive message to the world. And if someone refuses to accept the message, it better not be because I proclaimed it in an ugly way. It better be simply because they chose not to do it. There's something else we need to change when we look at our reaction. We have to change our discernment, our desire. But we also have to have a determination to live in such a way that when I make a mistake in this life, I acknowledge it quickly. I ask God to forgive me and anyone else that it has affected. For repentance to take place, we have to have that determination. We have to have a desire to continue to walk in the light, 1 John 1.7. That is a wholehearted decision to follow after God. doesn't matter what the rest of the world does. How many of us have been subject to what we know as peer pressure? Hey, and by the way, that doesn't stop when we graduate from high school, does it? It keeps on going in this world. It's in the workplace. It's in uh, our social circles. It's, it's all through life. But we have to make a determination. I'm going to react to God in the way He wants me to react. Once godly sorrow leads one to repentance, then we're on our trail. We're on the right track. Then we have to understand it doesn't stop there. It's a continual thing. A life of repenting when it is necessary. It's a daily fight against Satan and the forces that support his agenda, right? Notice what Jesus said, Luke 9, 23. He said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That means we take up that cross, a killing instrument, and we put to death the old man of sin when he tries to come back into our lives. We come across a temptation. We decide we might want to engage in that. What do we do? We take our cross and we put that to death. I tell you what I have learned in my life. That If you have a life of prayer, it's hard to live a life of sin. If you live a life of sin, it's awfully hard to have a life of prayer. And if we will have a life of prayer, going before God, submitting to God, allowing Him to help us, understanding that the devil will flee from us, James 4, 7, we can walk in the light. And that's what we want. How many people commit a sin and and they just feel so bad for it? In the moment of that sin, they thought, well, I don't know, maybe it's not so bad. And then after the fact and, and you're contemplating what had gone on and you go to God in prayer and you've wished a thousand times, why couldn't I have been stronger? A life of prayer will help with our determination. We need to go before God. We need to do that. The word submit comes from a Greek word meaning... In subordination to. We give ourselves in subordination to God. We're under obedience to God. We put ourselves under subjection to God. That's what obedience is. That's what uh, submitting ourselves means. That's repenting or leads to repenting if we have that mindset. There was a Sunday school teacher once asked the class what the word repentance meant. Well, a little boy raised his hand and he said, it means being sorry for something. Well, that's not really what it means, is it? Well, we need to be sorry for something. That's what leads us to repentance. And then a little girl raised her hand and she said, it means being sorry enough to stop doing it. Now that is repentance, isn't it? Stopping what I'm doing, turning myself to God. We have to be determined to live for God And to stop committing sin. Pharaoh didn't do that. He refused to give himself to God. God wants his creation to obey him. He wanted Pharaoh to do it willingly, right? Could God have forced Pharaoh to have turned the people go? Or turned the people loose? Sure he could have. He could have struck Pharaoh dead. He could have instantly brought the people out of Egypt, stuck them right in the land of Canaan, and made everything just as it ought to be, whether they wanted it or not. That's not what God wants. God wants His people and all the people of the world to submit to Him, to bow to Him because they want to. Notice what Paul said. He said, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. What's that mean? That doesn't mean all people are going to be saved. That means at some point in the future, every person who has ever lived, any person who will ever live from this point to that point, they will bow to God and they will confess His name. That doesn't mean they're saved. That means they've come to the realization, I wish I had done what God asked me to do. Now, we have an opportunity to do that. We have an opportunity to bow before God, confess His name, call on His name through obedience, and become faithful Christians. And it's all in the plan of salvation. Believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Confessing His name before others. Going down into the water. Being immersed so my sins can be washed away. Coming up, being that new creature that Paul spoke of in Romans 6 and living that faithful life. We can do that. That's the plan, isn't it? There was a request made to Pharaoh by God. He requested Pharaoh repent. In essence, that's what he did. We see the reaction of Pharaoh. Who is God that I ought to obey him? I don't know God, and neither will I let the people go. And then we're going to notice, we'll read Exodus 12. Verses 29 through 31. Pharaoh hardened his heart and it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and it goes on to talk about a great cry that came up out of Egypt. Every single person who had not bowed before God, who had not struck the doorposts with the blood of the lamb as they uh, observed that very first Passover feast where the death angel passed over the people who had put the blood on the doors. Everyone who didn't do that, we see the result. And the result that is first and foremost in our minds as we read the account is a result of loss. In Egypt, every person and every animal lost the firstborn. Pharaoh lost his firstborn son. Why? He had a hard heart. He didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. And he suffered. But isn't that how sin works? What had the young child done? Well, it hadn't done anything. But that's how sin operates. How many people have suffered at the hands of someone else's sin? You know, we think about maybe a drunkard father, right? Not taking care of his family. A drunkard mother or drug addict father who spends all the money on those pleasures and allows the children to suffer. You know, I just read in the news, and I don't recall what state, uh, California, they found about 12 children shackled inside a home from about the age of 6 or 7 all the way up to adults. There's about three of them over the age of 18. By their parents, what did those children ever done? just suffered at the hands of their parents because of their choices. And we see that. That's how sin works. That's why we ought to get control of the sin in our lives. What happens when our children watch us in this life and they notice Dad refuses to repent when he does wrong? Is that going to encourage them to repent when they get older? How many parents have grieved on their deathbeds because their lives were an improper example in their children? We're not living for God. I've seen it and you have too. Paul commanded. He said, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We have to train people, and we do it through our actions. Is one way we do it. We have to train our children. You know, it was a said of Eli one of the last judges of Israel. First Samuel 3.13, God said, For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. Now, I think Eli was a good man. He was a godly man, but he was a very poor parent. And because of that, he suffered. He learned of the death of his sons. He fell back in the chair, you remember, and broke his neck because he was a, he was a fat man and he fell over and he broke his neck. See, we have to be careful. We have to take our responsibilities as parents and run with it in the proper way. But that was one of the results lost. But that doesn't have to be the result. There can be life. We, there can be life if God, if Pharaoh had complied with God. God wouldn't have punished Israel or Egypt. We might be reading an entirely different account if Pharaoh had complied with God. Nebuchadnezzar had a different result, didn't he? You recall when he allowed his arrogance to to cause him to be uh, cast out of the kingdoms of men, he lost his mind for a period of time and he lived with the animals and he acted like an animal. And then one day, his mind came back to him after God had concluded his punishment. Notice Daniel 4. 34, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven and mine understanding returned unto me and I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom is from generation to generation. Pharaoh could have arrived at the same decision, but he didn't. He chose to harden his heart. If we submit to God's plan of salvation in its entirety... We can have life. That goes way beyond initial salvation. That continues on down through life. And when I need to repent, I will. Repentance is the hard part to salvation. Initial repentance is not nearly as hard as continual repentance, is it? We decide we want to live for God and we know the lifestyle in which we live. Is not conducive to that, so we're going to turn away from that. People get sick and tired of being sick and tired living in sin, right? They'll turn to God, but then as they continue on down through life, things happen and they won't repent. It's the hard part. It goes beyond initial salvation. We have to live that life. That's what God wants us to do. That's what Paul and the other apostles preached. And we can have... Life, is our hearts hard or soft? If you're in need of repentance today, soften your heart. Come back to God in whatever way is necessary as we stand and as we sing.